One of the uh, great privileges God has given us as the body of Christ is the privilege of prayer. The scriptures tell us that we can boldly approach the throne of God to find help, to find mercy in our time of need. And like I told the kids, um, God's love is ready for us. His mercy is ready for us. We can, we don't need someone to stand between us and God and pray for us. We can go to God ourselves and pour out our hearts, pour out our praises to him, pour out our requests to him, pour out our fears and anxieties to him. It's a great privilege that God gives us, not only to speak with him, but also to know that we can intercede, we can pray for others. And if you've been in the church any length of time, if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ, No doubt somebody has come to you. They've called you on the phone, they've met you in the hallway, and they've said these words, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? And as a good follower of Jesus, your response is usually, yes, I will pray for you. And they give you a request to pray for. Or sometimes they don't give you a request, they just say, pray for me. And the question that lays upon our hearts is this. How do I pray? What do I pray? How do I boldly approach the throne of God for this person who asked me to pray? Well, in the scripture passage today, in Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15, the Apostle Paul gives to the church, gives to us today, how to pray for one another. Now, if someone is sick and they're ailing, the prayer seems obvious. If someone is suffering with cancer, we pray that they would be healed. If someone has a broken relationship, we pray that that relationship will be restored. Some of the things are obvious for us to pray for, but there are times in my life when people have asked me to pray or they put them on the list and I don't know how to pray. I don't know what the specific needs is, are. But Paul gives us some direction. Listen to God's word, Ephesians 15 through 23. For this reason, ever since I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you to, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, 
far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and in every name that can be invoked. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed to him the head, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So what do we learn about how to pray? First of all, we get Paul's reason for praying. In fact, we talked about Paul's reason last week when we looked at those earlier verses when he says about all the things that God has done for us. That motivation of who we are in Jesus Christ motivates Paul to pray for the church. He also prays because this church is in, they have exhibited their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the people, as verse 15 tells us. It's interesting to know that, that faith in the Lord Jesus also must include love for all of his people. The scriptures tell us that we are to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, and we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Faith in Jesus Christ must be exhibited in love for one another, and the Apostle Paul saw that evident in the church of Ephesus, and so he prayed. Verse 16 tells us that he has not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you, in my prayers. We must not stop giving thanks for one another. You know, if we are consistently praying for one another, if we're praying for the church of Bethesda and giving thanks for its people and thanks for its ministries, it's going to become increasingly difficult to have problems with her. When we have a heart of thanksgiving, It's much easier to live in peace with those that we worship with, those that we serve with. So Paul does not stop giving thanks. He continually remembers those in his prayers. And we are called to do the same thing, not stop giving thanks and constantly remembering one another in our prayers. It's not something that we just do for a little bit of time. So what does Paul pray? For what does he ask? Verse 17. He says, I keep on asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom. And some of your versions may say, a spirit of wisdom. Either one is acceptable. The spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will understand things. You will have wisdom. You will have the ability to see. And what is it specifically that he says he wants you to have wisdom and revelation about so that you may know God better? You want to know what to pray for one another? Pray that they would know God better. Back in the language of the day, the language that Paul was writing in, that word to know him better speaks of not just head knowledge, but an intimacy of knowledge. 
that we would know Christ better. Pray for the people around you that they would know Christ better. They would become more intimate with him, with God, that they would have the wisdom of how to do that and the revelation so that you would know him better. That is what we pray for one another. When you're praying for your missionaries on your list or other people that you know at church, if you take time to pray for the pastor, to pray for those in leadership, pray that we would have wisdom and revelation to know God better. The more I am intimately drawn to the Father, the better I can pastor the church. It is intrinsically linked. I have believed since I started ministry that the time you spend with God is directly proportionate to the things you're able to accomplish for God. If you're not spending time with God in his word and in prayer, it's going to become very difficult for you to accomplish anything for the kingdom. His word, his prayer. I don't know how Bethesda runs. I'm just learning that in the process, trying to find out who the power brokers are, you know, and also who cooks the best meals. <laughs> but when I, we planted a church back in the late 80s and through the 90s, it was a small church. And we used to have business meetings like you have business meetings. The first half hour to 45 minutes of our business meeting was always a time for a concert of prayer. We spent more time in prayer than we did in business. Now, I don't know how you run things here, but I would make a strong recommendation that you make sure to bathe your business meetings as you bathe your other ministries in prayer. That we would seek God together as the body of Christ, not just as individuals, but the body of Christ. Praying for our church, praying for our community. That we would know God better. Verse 18 says that he wants his, their hearts enlightened so that they could know hope. Pray for the hearts of the people around you to be enlightened, that they may know hope. And look what it says about hope. It's the hope to which he has called you in the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. Now the NIV of which I'm reading from right here really does disservice to the verse. Let me see if I can explain it. What's really being said here is that the hope that we have is the fact that we have been called to be the riches of God's inheritance. We talked about last week how we receive an inheritance from God. But the scripture here is declaring that you, as the body of Christ, are the inheritance for God. That God looks at you and sees in you as the church 
something that's going to fill up the rest of eternity with him. You are blessed. God looks at you with expectation. And that is the hope that we have, to know that we just are not going to live in heaven forever, as good as that will be, but that God hungers for you to be there. You fill up the riches of God. You are part of the riches of God. You may think that I don't have much worth in the church. I'm just a person who fills the pew or sits in my couch at home. But I'm here to declare to you today that you fill up the riches of God. He sees you with incredible worth. And Paul prays that our hearts would be enlightened to that truth. That we would live differently. And then he prays that his incomparable great power for us to believe, that we would know the power of God. And this is a very specific power that Paul is talking about. He says, it is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's power. And God wants to raise us up from the dead to, as we sang in a song today, that we are uh, set free from death and sin. That that is the kind of power we are to know. Please know this about Paul's prayer. Note this, that Paul does not pray for material things for, for the church. He doesn't pray for physical healing. He doesn't pray for its buildings. It's programs. He prays for its spiritual heart. And that was what we should be praying for each other, that we would know God better, that we would know the great hope that he has called us to, that we would understand and experience his great power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. We sang, um, oh, what a beautiful name today. And there's one line in there that says, um, you didn't want heaven without us. Heaven would be incomplete without you, without the church there. And so we pray for one another. The basis for Paul's prayer is this, quickly. God's power is exhibited in Christ through the resurrection of Christ from the dead to new life, verse 20. It is exhibited in the rule of Christ over all creation. He has seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked. There is no thing that you can call upon that is more powerful than the name of Jesus. And remember that Paul is talking to the people in Ephesus where the great Diana statue was, and they would invoke her name. And they would invoke the names of all sorts of gods. 
Jesus has the name that is above every name. And then we see his power and exhibit in the fact that Christ is reigning as head of the body. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is the head of the church. It is about him. So we pray for one another, for the spiritual needs. So when the Holy Spirit lays upon your heart to pray for a certain individual, you pray that their heart would be enlightened, that they would have wisdom and revelation to know God better. There have been numerous times as a pastor that I've been called to pray for somebody in the hospital or on their sickbed who are moments away from death or maybe days away from death. And the question that always arises me and may be for you as you've been in those same situations is how do I pray? Do I pray for complete healing? Do I pray that the cancer is removed when everything shows that it's only days? I guess we can pray for those things, but more importantly, we need to pray that that person intimately knows the Father. We need to pray that their hearts would be enlightened, that their hope would be fulfilled, that God would do that which their hearts need, what their spirits need. We pray for the spiritual needs of people. We pray, as we pray for those on our list, our family, our neighbors, our missionaries, our pastors, we need to pray for their spiritual needs, first and foremost. Now let me just share with you a real practical thing as we close about prayer. When somebody asks you to pray for them, pray immediately. I don't know if you're like me at all, but someone will come to me and say, will you pray for me? And they give me a request and I say, I will pray. And the habit is, I will forget by the time I walk out the door that I'm supposed to pray for that person. Definitely by the time I get home or the next day when, I should be, when I'm spending time in prayer, I forget that the person asked me. And that's a terrible thing because I've committed myself to pray for that individual. So pray right away. If someone walks up to you today and says, pray for me, Clarify what the needs are and then stop right then and there and pray for them. What a beautiful sight it would be if you walked out in the foyer and saw individuals, small little huddles of people, two people together praying for each other. I make a habit if you walk up to me in the supermarket and you say, Pastor, will you pray for me? You better be ready to pray. Because we'll pray right there in the canned soup aisle. I will put my hand on your shoulder and we will pray. I don't care who's around. Maybe they need to hear the prayer too. So I encourage you to develop that habit, that habit, that attitude of prayer that says if someone asks you for prayer, you stop right then and there and pray. 
And then you've done your task. You don't have to remember well. You don't have to feel guilty with it. You have stopped and you have prayed. And if you don't know what to pray, pray the things that we learned about today. Pray for their hearts. Pray for their spiritual needs. Speaking of prayer, let's do that. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.